Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. Today's guests are Lauren Peterson and Brianna Greer uh, discussing National Indigenous Peoples Day. Lauren and Brianna are both Métis and share and focus on, on their perspectives, their experiences, uh, the, the issues that are facing their communities, as well as looking at some broader topics. It's important to note that Indigenous in Canada includes Inuit, First Nations, and Métis. And uh, it's, it's a day that we, we celebrate their cultures and how their cultures have influenced the great narrative of Canada, as well as understanding the history there. Um, one focus in, in our nation is truth and reconciliation. And that's one big thing that we focus on. What does that mean and how do we achieve it? And the reality is, is that in order to get there, it's going to be a very uncomfortable process. But the hope is, is that one day, this day can mean something different for all of us, something positive. But right now there is work to be done and it begins with conversation. So if you enjoy this episode, please be sure to let us know. Our email is robsprobablywrong at gmail.com. Uh, this episode is also available online on YouTube. Uh, just check out I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. And uh, we would we would really enjoy you to be a part of this conversation. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. And you're listening to I'm probably wrong about everything. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we're talking about National Indigenous Peoples Day in, in Canada, uh, what that means, our criticisms about it, our feedback, our experiences. Uh, I want to start off by identifying that where I live, I live on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish Nation, the Coast Salish people uh, of the, the Keitsi, um, the Kwantlen, and the Semiamahu. Uh, I also want to identify that these cultures are inextricably linked in my own identity, my own upbringing. And one symbol that stays with me my whole life that I remember as a young person uh, is the Coast Salish welcome figure with the hands open wide saying that, uh, you know, we come in peace, we come here to understand each other. It also means that we're not carrying weapons. So very much today, that is the angle that I'm coming from is that the whole purpose of the show is built upon understanding, understanding each other and in the true principles of truth and reconciliation, uh, which is, uh, a task that we must, we must, accept a challenge we must accept if we hope for for our communities to work together for a brighter future for our children uh i i am a new parent i'm also an educator and i see it as a responsibility and as a privilege uh to be able to teach my daughter that's a responsibility to to encourage the future and also it's a privilege because i'm i'm allowed to raise her as i see fit which is a controversy um, that our government, that my people have taken away from Indigenous peoples. Now, before we begin, I think it's important that we have a chance to introduce ourselves. 
uh, Brianna Greer, you've been on the show before. Lauren Peterson, you have you have been on before as well. If you wouldn't mind just briefly introducing yourselves, starting with Brianna, if, if you okay. don't mind. So my name is Brianna Greer. I'm living in Prince Rupert, BC. I'm on the traditional territory of the Simshan people um, the, of the non-allied tribes of the Metlakatla and the Lakhalams. And I am on the Region 6 Métis Nation, BC territory right now. Thank you. All right. Tanse, Tanse Kia, Lauren Deshnikashen, Lee Mishifayin. Um, I am Métis. I coming to you live from the um, territories, traditional territories of the Songhees, the Squamalt, and Wasanit peoples in Victoria, Douglas, or Douglas Treaty 1. Um, my family comes from the Red River. I am Métis on my mother's side, Danish on my father's side. Um, so both guest and Indigenous person in this country. And I currently am wrapping up work at the University of Victoria, where I was a neighborhood manager doing a lot of Indigenous initiatives and transitioning into a role as the K-12 Education Manager for the Métis Nation of British Columbia. Congratulations. Thank you. Wow. I truly thank you for your trust, your friendship, and your time today. Um, like I say, the show is called I'm Probably Wrong About Everything, so educate me freely. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I do appreciate it. So my first question today is uh, National Indigenous Peoples Day. I feel like, and, and I was mentioning this before, that that is, I feel like a day is, clearly a day is not enough. And I don't think a month is enough either. I mean, the month of June is dedicated to Indigenous uh, awareness, Indigenous peoples, as well as uh, LGBTQ+. Um, Juneteenth is also at this time, mm -hmm. but also in February, that's, that's Black History Month. However, I think that that's something that we should dedicate our time to year-round until equity and equality is achieved. What are your perspectives on Indigenous Peoples Day? What does this mean to you? I can start with that one. Um, I like National Indigenous Peoples Day so long as it's time that is given to Indigenous people to celebrate their culture and connect with their ways of being in their communities. Um, I find because I work in Aboriginal education or Indigenous education, I don't often get to celebrate it myself. Sometimes I feel like it's a little bit extractive that I am putting on a show, which is, it is fine. Like it's a healthy way for, it's a good opportunity for people to engage with indigenous cultures and like epistemologies, art forms, languages, cuisine, and it's cool. It's like a festival, so it's being celebrated, but a lot of work goes into those things. And I don't think a lot of people realize like, for example, like I used to work at Royal Roads in Indigenous Education and Student Services, and we planned one of the largest ones, and John Horgan actually came, and it was really cool. Like, Melanie Marks was there. We had a big festival, probably over 1,500 people, and it was all Indigenous people working, volunteering, and all our performers were going from event to event to event to event. <laughs> Downtown, we had, like, shuttles that we like paid for to get them just to come out and drum for us. So, like, their whole day was just go, 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 go. Right. So, no, we don't always get a chance to celebrate ourselves, which it would be nice if it was um, other people throwing these events for us and we get to go. But it's it's some people, that's how they make their money. Like, they look forward to it all year. They do these big events and they get paid really, really well for it. Uh, lots of beaters come out, set up shop, lots of artists, 
um, cooks and things like you can see like indigenous food trucks and it's it's really cool so I guess it just it depends on the intention and how people engage it is a relatively new holiday like it, it wasn't made an official holiday for forever it used to be National Aboriginal Day um, and it, it didn't really feel like you know schools or I don't want to say like corporations, but like mainstream Canada really paid much mind to it until it became National Indigenous Peoples Day. And it got a little bit more pop, a little bit more popular. I would like to see it as a stat because I would personally like to not have to work it once for once in my life. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it'd be, it'd be kind of fun to actually participate for once. But. Thank you. Yeah. That's, that's a really good point. I mean, like, this should be a holiday, but for you, it's like a working day. This is this is about awareness. This is about education. Um, you know, you don't get a break on this day, right? No. Brianna, what what does this day mean to you? So I agree with Lauren for pretty much everything she said. When I when I look back at previous uh, National Indigenous Days, what we did, we were volunteering our time, making sure our stand for the Métis people was set up. But you're you're busy working that and educating people that you aren't always enjoying. Like you're not able to enjoy it with your people yourselves. So you're helping educate and like help the public. Mm -hmm. And previously, I, I worked in a school for a short-time contract two years ago for two months. And on National Indigenous Peoples Day, I was teaching about the Métis instead of us like celebrating it. It just feels like we're always teaching rather than um, enjoying as well. But yeah. I, do wish, I do wish it was a stat as well, because then maybe it feels like whenever a holiday is considered a stat, uh, corporations and more mainstream take it more seriously and feel that they need to plan more and do more activities and bring awareness. So, that would so, so that's what you would like to see is that corporations, businesses, the powers that may be, they take this seriously and they put efforts, resources, and money into into making this again building awareness so that that you get to enjoy it as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I would like to. I would like to get a day to spend time with my mom and just like hang, kick back with my family. Is, is it is it your mom fun. that's Métis? Yeah. Right. Well, today today is Father's Day, uh, and mm -hmm. you know this is this is a very special day to me. Um, you know my my you know I, I have an interesting role with fathers, and now that I am one, as I mentioned before, I see it as a as a privilege and a responsibility. However, some people don't have fathers, but we all have hopefully parents in our lives or people that we look up to. Both of you, I would say, are, are, are absolute role models within your communities. Um, how do you, what, what are your views on, on the philosophy of being a parent as, as a privilege and a responsibility? What does that mean to you? I, I think because, uh, at least within our culture, like you're raised by your community. Right. We, we're, we're almost entire, almost everybody is related in some capacity through marriage or cousins or something. So we, we take care of each other. Like I have so many, so many cousins in Winnipeg and my oldest cousin, Shelly is, and her sister, Wendy, are like basically my sister's. Um, but I would go spend every summer with them. So like they're, they're equally, 
um, responsible for how I was raised and how I was brought up and how I know to navigate this world as a Métis person. A lot of the things that I know about our culture and what it means to be Métis from the Red River, I learned because I had them in my life too. Mm -hmm. So like I have aunties, elders that have always along the way done that. And we're, we're raised to understand that one day it's going to be our turn to do that. We support each other. We build relationships with each other. It's, it's very, it's not a, not a linear relationship kind of situation. Like we exist on like a circular continuum that just keeps going and there's room for every, yeah. Well, yes, right here. <laughs> it just keeps going because we're all connected in that way. And we have responsibilities to each other in order to make sure that we're doing okay. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I don't think for the past like 10 years, I've gone a single day without being like checked in on by someone in our community or just messaged or talked to. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, I, do feel bad for people that aren't raised with that. Like, I don't want to call it a safety net, but I'll call it, um, I guess it's just a community, right? Like we, we're all one big family. And even though we don't always get along, everyone genuinely cares about each other. So <laughs> we like to argue. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's a great answer. Brianna, uh, what are your, what are your thoughts? So I wasn't quite raised the same way as Lauren. Um, From my perspective, it was more like the woman of the family that we relied on a lot more of. And women in our culture are very held highly and um, are very respected. So when I was young, um, my mom relied on my grandma a lot. And so I spent a lot of my time learning from her until she passed away when I was young. And then Otherwise, there's a lot of other great women in my family and our family friends that helped raise me and still help me to this day. Awesome. Awesome. Well, so Thomas King, he wrote the book, An Inconvenient Indian. And in it, he talks about terminologies and how that's it's it's such a difficult thing. And I think in in white culture and I'll just speak from my own experiences as, as being a member of that that culture and benefiting from those privileges is that we try to understand things uh, as as typically as we can. We try to, to put it all together and say, okay, it's all in this group, it's all in that group, and that's something that my culture has done. However, the term Aboriginal is, is uh, a complicated one because it, it refers to Métis, Inuit, and First Nations people. However, even within those three very broad categories. There are so many different communities. And like I'd mentioned before, um, the Haida have about as much in common with the Coast Salish nations uh, as Austria and Germany or the Netherlands do. So both of you uh, have Métis background. For those listening, what, what does Métis mean? Because we do have people who listen in Germany, in different parts of the world, outside of Canada. So what does Métis mean? Oh, this is a political question. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, 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 and if you don't like the question, please no, reframe okay. it. Yeah. We have a, there's a big ongoing conversation in Canada about what, what the definition is. Um, right. Brianna and I are both MNC citizens. We're under Métis Nation, British Columbia, of the Métis National Council. Um, and our definition is like, you are, you self-identify as Métis, you can trace your families to the Red River and you are accepted by your community. 
because we we are accountable to each other. Accountability is very big in Métis culture. Um, there are some people that will say that there are Métis communities in the East Coast and uh, in Quebec and all these places, and that because they are mixed, they are Métis. We use big M, little m. So big M means you have ties to the Red River. Little m means you do not. You are mixed. And there is nothing wrong with being a mixed Indigenous person, but there's also nothing wrong with us saying we're not related to you. Like, I would not show up to my friends in Kwantlen First Nations house or their longhouse and say, you know, I'm really liking your art today, and I'm Indigenous too, so I'm going to start identifying as you. Right. We're, we're not a catch-all. And I think people really need to start learning about who we are as a people, what our value systems are, um, how we govern ourselves, um, how we teach our children, how we, we raise people up, our medicines, the roles that we played in like the geopolitical shaping of this country. We, we effectively changed the entire landscape. So we walk in two worlds. We have to own that, that we played a role in colonialism to an extent and then we were impacted very different from other indigenous people so when people learn they have an indigenous ancestor and start saying they're metis and acting on behalf of the metis people that can actually cause a lot of harm to our communities and we're dealing with that every day and it it can it gets pretty vicious out there and it's you know there's a lot of infighting even within our own nation if our registries are good or up to up to standard or if we're letting people in or if we're starting new communities or making land claims where there shouldn't be land claims and it's it gets to be a lot it's an ongoing conversation even amongst ourselves like what is our impact what is our intention like how are we going to move forward from here and it's it can get pretty crazy mm. so Métis does not mean mixed it is an ethnogenesis from a certain time and place if you are Métis right this is who you are yeah it's not just that your your parents are say First Nations and that you're from Scotland. It's it's a specific thing to the Red River. Yeah. Tied to right. Yeah. My mom would always say, she would always caution me and say, like, you're not you're not an Indian. Like, don't get too excited out there. Like, you're Metis, it's different. And I always took that to mean like I always sort of interpreted it as like there was like shame around it. But really that wasn't it at all. She just wanted me to be more authentic and represent our family well. And I understand that in retrospect. And I think that that's important that people understand. We're not make out there making powwow drums and powwows are beautiful and we all love them. But that's not our, that's not our culture. When we participate in those things, it's, it's us connecting to our Indigenous cousins and our ancestors from that way. But we have a very different culture and set of values. We can yeah, appreciate, and, but it's not ours to claim. And, and, and that's a good point because th this kind of brings up education which, which we'll get to. So, Brianna, uh, I, I want to give you a chance to answer that question um, as well. Sorry, I'm in an official role, so I don't really want to make a comment yeah, no on problem. identity, but I just would, yeah. was going to say I'm from the Red River, and um, we do have, like, our our territory goes, like, so far, like, me. So we have like Métis Nation, BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario. So there's Métis people in all those places. Also, the Northwest Territories, even though they're not represented by Métis Nation Canada. So, um, yeah, my family came from Red River, and over the years, they um, went to Alberta, and then we somehow made our way to BC. Right. Part we of, move. We, mig we migrate. We do. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I mean, and, and my family is from Scotland and England. And uh, my grandmother grew up in Portage the Prairie. So, you know, we we have been all times are happening now. So now is now is the time to 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 educate ourselves. And I think that that's an important point is that um, growing up in education. And this is this is where this piece comes in, is that for people who are uncomfortable with the subject, it's hard for them to teach on it. Right. Because. It's not what they're used to. And they're so afraid of getting it wrong. And I think that that's one thing in uh, white supremacy culture. That's how I've heard it referred is this idea of perfectionism, of getting it right. You can't get it wrong. If you get it wrong, that's a failure, right? And we avoid failure. But that's not reconciliation. Reconciliation is that we will make mistakes. We will make errors. So how do we... Um, so in education, how do we get away from seeing it as it's all just this way? Because again, that's what I think we're trying to do. Instead of looking at the the small to understand the bigger picture, it's like we're trying to understand the bigger picture to understand the small. Would you would you agree with that's how the past of Aboriginal uh, First Nations Indigenous history has been in Western culture in Canada? Yeah, um, actually, I study this. This is this is what I this is my jam here. Um, I think that's why I'm so glad thing, you're here. <laughs> the the biggest thing that um, educators and learners, especially adult learners, because we're the ones that model this to younger generations, Absolutely. and we're going to be the ones setting the standard for the future, is people need to start to understand that indigenous knowledge systems do not need to be framed through Western lenses. We do not need to compromise our beliefs for them to be legitimate and digestible to you. So one thing I've started practicing, yeah, I've started um, trying to be unapologetically machif. And I try to use language and use like subtitles and machif things and teachings in all of my like leadership studies papers, because I'm doing adult education and community engagement. And I think that is the biggest thing that I can do is I give voice to that. And even if my language isn't perfect or the words I use aren't 100% accurate, they're still there. And that still makes an impact because it still speaks to the values that I was raised with. Mm. Right. So it's, it's, it's representation and it's also people really holding that space and not tokenizing the knowledges that are there because I do this work because I want children in my community to, and, and adults in our community to be able to come into these spaces um, these institutional spaces that were historically built to exclude us and to actually be accepted and to thrive. I have no desire to engage in extractive relationships with educators. And I used to make that mistake where I would go out of my way to create resources, run courses, do anything I could for the teachers. And then I realized, no, that's what they're paid for. And I'm not helping them by doing their job for them. I can give them the tools and help them to understand that and explain these things, but it's, you know, it's, it's complicated. And I like I, I find in my classmates too, like sometimes I know that they don't always mean it or people at conferences, they see indigenous as like one thing. And I'll be called upon to speak to like First Nations issues and I'm not First Nations and I'm not Inuit. I can't speak to those issues because that's not my lived experience and it's not my place. So learning how to be gentle about those things and be forgiving when people overstep and say, actually, no, like I need to 
<laughs> need to locate myself within this conversation better because it's not working. But like, that's a strategy I use. I say, I am Métis. This is my family. This is where I'm from. This is what I represent. This is what I have to share with you guys. And then I'll recommend somebody else to speak to First Nations issues or Inuit things because we are all networked within Indigenous education. There's like a pretty solid community in, in post-secondary and there's a pretty solid community in early education and, and in um, K to 12. And I'm lucky I've worked in all three. So I know a lot of people I can pull from and say like, yeah, this is their wheelhouse. I can't, I can't talk to you about with or Coast Salish art or Haida art forms and the difference between the line forms, but I can find you someone who can, and they would love to share that usually if you pay them, if you're like respecting <laughs> yeah. that knowledge, yes. because like, I think a lot of people just assume like we're here to teach people and it's racialized people are not and obligated to create educational experiences just because people want them now. And that's been a big thing with the orange shirts. People want to know more about residential schools and they aren't really cluing in that this isn't new for us. And this is stuff that we've been yeah. dealing with for multiple generations and that there is a lot of emotional labor that comes into educating people. And you know what? Some days we just want to grieve. Or we just want to be with our families or our communities. We don't want to set up shop and teach the world so that people can center themselves in that narrative. It's, you know, it's, it gets, people get emotional. And I, I think in a lot of Western worldviews and education systems, being able to insert yourself in a story to understand it, to relate to it is a natural thing that doesn't really work when it's cross-cultural because you can't erase race from this narrative. People can say all they want. Oh my gosh, if it were my children, it never would have been your kid if you're not Indigenous. Stop saying that. Like it's, it's actually really offensive. And it like belittles and minimizes real lived experiences. So like not taking Indigenous teachings through a Western lens. We don't need to water down what we have. People just need to learn them. Um, making an effort to learn the language, learn where you are learn how to locate ourselves without being extractive or centering the narratives around ourselves and listening. This podcast is great for that. People listen, <laughs> you know, it's sorry. I just went off a huge tangent there. I have, I have a lot of feelings Not a tangent at all. right now. Not a tangent yeah. <laughs> I hope that answered your question. Well, it, it, it really did. I, I mean, I'm very fortunate and I cite this, I quote this person often. Uh, his name's Chris Francis. I've had him on the show multiple times and, uh, he he's he's a black man and he shares about how you know google's free right like you know you have the resources to do a little bit of education right don't just walk up to somebody and say hey what happened uh you know in kamloops and it's like listen man like you you don't know who you're talking to and i think that that's a big point that we need to so for example with things like george floyd it's like some some people just walk up to a black person and think that they can have that conversation without knowing that person. And that's, to me, that's why truth and reconciliation, when done properly, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that that is, is a good starting point, is that we need to see, we need to identify the truth, we need to share that truth, realize it, but then we need to repair those bonds. And I think that the best way to get to know somebody is through friendship. And that's, again, the, the Coast Salish welcome figure that I always draw myself back to. Of If I mm -hmm. want to be a good ally, I start with being a good friend, right? And you guys are my friends. And that's why I think this is so great that we're doing this. Instead of having, 
some random pundits on where it's like, what do you think about this? You wrote this book that I didn't read, you know, on CNN that we see. It's like, mm -hmm. let's have a conversation. Let's develop a relationship. I think that's the future. Sorry, I went mm -hmm. on a tangent there, but but hopefully that, to me, that's to your point. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know what your thoughts are, Brianna, on that. Well, Lauren did a really great job at answering that. I just wanted to add, like, I wish that when they're teaching, it's more authentic about First Nations, Métis, and Inuit peoples and what that really means, because I feel like people don't understand the terminologies of, like, Indigenous or First Nations and what that really encompasses. And it's really a lot of the general public are really confused about that. And I know that they can teach themselves, but it starts with teaching children when they're young with whether that be with parents and teachers and giving those teachings so that they understand. Because I find as a Métis person, especially in post-secondary, I've been excluded a lot from things because people don't understand the difference that Métis people aren't First Nations. And so when there's things for First Nations people only, um, we, we get excluded from things and just the terminologies, um, aren't, they're not being inclusive. On that, so being Métis, um, and Lauren was sharing, I mean, the background here is that um, the, this is a, a community, a culture that is both of the people who came here from Europe and the people who were here originally. So the mm -hmm. First Nations and the Scottish, the French, the settlers that came here. So I imagine that that has been a very, like we've seen throughout history how difficult it is to be of mixed uh ethnographic backgrounds right not only are the settlers against you and i apologize for the term settler i i it's in the it's in the absence of a of a perfect term but let's say white let's say white culture so you have to navigate white culture or eurocentric culture and in indigenous first nations culture so what are the difficulties in being metis that you that you experience today, if you're if you're comfortable sharing, of course. I think for us specifically, um, we exist outside of the homeland maps. So the communities that we live in are someone else's traditional territories; they're not ours. Um, so often, when there is a push to uh, draw attention to Métis specific issues, it's met with resistance. Um, it's very common in marginalized communities that their resources and supports and um, attention are seen as almost like a pie. And then if you have more people vying for attention, resources, or supports, those pieces of the pie get smaller. And that threatens the supports that exist for other people. Well, I think a lot of people, because like back to what Brianna said, a lot of people don't really understand Métis culture. Um, they don't understand the way that we do things. And it's really unfortunate. We don't want to take anything away from First Nations people. We want them to have all of the supports that they need to thrive because we understand what it's like to have things taken away from us. We were stripped of our lands and, and rights and uh, our Louis Riel was murdered by the government. Like our, our people lived in poverty for multiple generations and many families hid their connections to our nations intentionally because it was not a cool thing to be Métis. It was um, seen as something to be, a lot of people were ashamed of it, which is really unfortunate. We were the road allowance people. We, 
camped out along the railways and, you know, like took script and settled far away from where our families had been and our connections to our First Nations cousins a lot in a lot of cases. Um, in some, some way along the way, Brianna and I both ended up out here and we are not necessarily related to the First Nations people here, but we are connected to them in that we are part of the same Indigenous community. And we are people that are systemically discriminated against in different um, institutions like healthcare, um, education, uh, children in ministry care, um, the justice sector. And the, these are things like urban Indigenous people, which Métis are considered a part of, make up over 80% of the Indigenous population in BC. Yet you will never see, and this even coming um, into like looking at like the K to 12 restart plan that was posted. And I'm not speaking about this in my capacity because I haven't started my job at the NBC. This is a private thing. Uh, I was looking at it. There's not one mention of Métis needs. Mm. It's all First Nations. The language is there and the, it's not intentional, but it doesn't include us. And even with the narrative around the residential schools and looking at things, there were schools in Brandon, Manitoba. Brandon's in the, the heart of the homelands our kids right. were at those schools too and they went to day schools and a lot of the schools that Métis communities because they were so like far out in the community weren't recognized by the government because they were the only options for schooling despite the fact that there were very few like settler families in those areas so those school populations were almost entirely like Métis so <laughs> they like the survivors of those places that suffered those traumas get very little acknowledgement for their their traumas and their families are still dealing with the intergenerational traumas it's like metis representation is something that we have to be very careful about when we ask for because we don't going back to the very first thing i said about like first nations people and advocating for their rights we want them we want them to have those rights they're there are there are allies we're we're all in this together like it or not it's just sometimes hard to because we we do have a lot of privileges as mixed people that a lot of us are white passing that we don't experience things in the same way that for when we start to raise our voices if we're taking if it's perceived that we're taking anything away from them it's, it's seen as like lateral violence which is not something we want to do so we have to be very very careful especially when we are not in the homelands like they go to winnipeg and it's it's the home of the metis it's everywhere Go to Batash, it's, it's ours and it's shared and it's known and those relationships have been there for hundreds of years and it's it's copacetic. Here it's it's not. We are guests though, we have to behave accordingly. We have to be mindful of that. So, so in, in many ways, the Métis diaspora is is a very real thing that 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 again that requires reconciliation because the idea again here is that by looking by speaking to you two on your experiences within your communities we can hopefully understand the the necessity the requirement for these conversations with all groups regardless of intersectionality right i mean we talk about yes black lives matter but also black women's lives matter black trans lives matter i mean Afro Indigenous Lives Matter. Afro, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's Latino Africans, right? All parts of these of this diaspora. So, for the Métis community in this diaspora, what 
the government, what what do we need from them? Because Ellis Ross from the the, the Hassa First Nations, who uh, would have been, you know, we're hoping to have him on here, but maybe later, uh, he he shares that we can't rely on the government anymore. So, or he he questions the integrity of the government based on my understanding of what he shared with me. So, what then can people such as myself do? Like what? Like just out of curiosity. As an educator, what would you like to see me, allies, doing for your your community? Which is a loaded question, but as a friend, I how can I be a better friend? Hmm. <laughs> I think you're on the right track. <laughs> we were we were actually invited to speak on National Indigenous People's Day, and that's like exciting for me because mm-hmm. I'm I'm always in the background. Mm. I'm never never sharing Métis stuff really and supporting other people, um, largely First Nations communities here. Cause I like to do that. I do like to be a good ally and be a good guest. Um, but having spaces for Métis voices explicitly to share or to join in with conversations, it, I think is important too. It also will help a lot of people, I think, to understand that we don't want to take anything away from them. If they hear it and they, they can recognize that it's genuine, right? Brianna, I also I think you're a great friend for knowing the traditional territory you're on it's actually surprising how many people don't know the names or the territory like of the territory they're on and how there could be multiple peoples like that are from an area it's really special he's in a pretty great territory if I must say so myself yes very very excited to be moving back to the Katsi, Kwantlen, Simiamu, Maxby First Nations communities. They are amazing people. What, Brianna, you you live up north. Yes. And and you you're seeing um, there's areas. Here's my inner educator coming out. There's areas for growth in your communities. What can you share with us? Some of the the, the problem the. Can you share with us the areas of growth in your communities that that you have dedicated your your life to both of you have dedicated your lives to this right so you know and we previously talked about this on a on one of the podcasts before how we don't have drinking water and um it's about two more years in the process till we have some clean drinking water we finally have gotten grants and it's taken years of um having dirty brown water Right now, it's safe to drink, they say, but if there's too much rain, we're going to be in another water boil advisory. Um, There's high poverty, actually, as well. Um, Prince Rupert had a really big COVID outbreak a few months back, and we knew everyone. Like, it was so surprising I didn't get it because my partner's work where he was at, so many of them had it, and there's high cases of poverty and... Um, there's so much that needs to be done um, with education, poverty, um, indigenous issues. The list could just go on. Right. How does, how do you heal? This is going on to, because you had mentioned Métis experienced, uh, they, they were in the residential schools Let's. This is my understanding of, of the residential school, um, how, how this how this came to be. So, 
education is a provincial manner, right? So I work for the uh, the province of British Columbia in educate the Ministry of Education. So it's not a federal thing, but but when Canada was trying to figure out education, they looked at the the Indian question because that's the language that they used back then, right? Part of the Indian Act. And they said that, okay, well, the provinces don't don't want to be involved in the education of uh, Indian people. So we'll turn it over to the federal government. That will be your responsibility. Well, the federal government couldn't manage that. So they turned it over to the churches. They turned it over to the Anglican churches, Catholic churches who, ex- who accepted this. I see a continuation of the trauma when our leaders... Uh, are blaming the churches for this when really this is a collective this is a collective fault this is a collective responsibility um, how do we heal the transgenerational trauma of the genocide that my community has has caused of of metis inuit and first nations people across the spectrum i don't know if we can fully heal from it there, there are still people that grieve for the Holocaust. Yeah. And killing field, like you go to the killing fields in Cambodia. You, it's interesting to look at how different countries cope or recover from genocide. In Canada, we're still in a place of denial that there, are, there are people that are so uncomfortable with the word the word genocide because they don't want to admit that it's ongoing. Our children are still being taken away. Mm. They're still going into ministry care. It's just a different, it's just a different department of the government that's doing it. They just stopped doing birth alerts in British Columbia and Manitoba. Like people didn't even like families for multiple generations haven't even had a chance to thrive. And people are so ignorant to it. And it's sometimes it's willful, sometimes it's not. I'm a starting to really understand though, like with this narrative that's ongoing and the way people are engaging with it, people are very, um, they have full agency of the media that they consume. We've been talking about residential schools since like 2004, like the last one closed in 1996. Like it's, it's within our, it's within our lifetime. Like I remember going to one of the schools in uh, Stolo territory. I think it was not, I don't know. I can't remember if it was in mission or if it was in, um, Chilliwack, but it was along the Fraser River. And I remember going to the cultural center and like getting really excited to learn about Honkaminam language and playing with magnets, spelling out like fruit words and things and learning games. Like I still remember how to say bala- or banana. It was balala. I thought that was so funny and it stuck with me, but there was a residential school on site. And like, I, le- I learned about them really young and I remember like going going to school and doing history and saying like, actually, no, those lands weren't empty and these things actually happened and people didn't want to listen and they couldn't understand why I would get emotional about it or get angry about it. Like there's a reason I went to school to do history because I want people to understand it because this is a very real thing and there's not one Indigenous person or one non-Indigenous person that loves an Indigenous person that isn't impacted by the story. Right. It's, it is it's a shared history and whether or not people want to take responsibility for the impacts that are still ongoing, 
or they're just intimidated by it because it's a very big thing. It's it's a scary thing. It's murder. It's murder and rape of children. Like how do you how do you reconcile that with like the image of Canada being the friendly country that you put a you put a maple leaf on the back of your Absolutely. backpack and off you go? Some people can't. They can't give that up. And a lot of people are really angry that Canada Day, a lot of celebrations across Canada are being canceled because people are like, we don't want to celebrate right now. <laughs> we need to figure out what's worth celebrating. Very and maybe, hard to be maybe, proud. yeah, it is. It's very hard. But you know, it's welcome, welcome to the club, man. It's been very complicated for us for, <laughs> yeah. for, for, for since like eighteen sixty seven. It's it's been complicated. And like the residential schools, Even like before predate, that. I mean, I think it, they yes. predate that. <laughs> Like and like the government's actively suing survivors from St. Anne's in Ontario right now. Like it's. Can, can I feel you, like. Yeah. No, no. Sorry. Finish. Yeah. <laughs> there's this. There's this meme that was shared on Twitter, and it was uh like the three Spider Mans pointing at each other, and it was like the RCMP, the Catholic Church, and the Canadian government, and it's just like people are saying, "You need to apologize. You guys need to do this. You need to do this." It's like, you know, what would be we the all best need apology. To responsibility. You know what the best apology would be? Land back, crown land, give it back. Mm. Great start. Do that. Right. Why can't what here's the now here's the million dollar question, of course. And I and and uh, you guys know me, I, I'm philosophical in nature, and I think that people people really do like to weaponize their emotions, right? Which I I get, but my people like to weaponize their emotions. And that kind of irks me anyways but um what was i going to say why can't we do that why can't the government identify that and and make that make those reparations the same thing goes for the united states i mean ultimate okay so here's my i'm going to read you a quote is that our brianna did you want to add anything on this no it's okay Please, um i i did want to add i don't think we can heal until the government recognizes it as a genocide because right now mm -hmm. it is not they don't use that terminology and it was a genocide our people were killed tortured raped all of the above mm -hmm. and okay. so that's the start of that and then the second thing is as soon as they thrown, found the first remains in Kamloops which we all knew was happening all these years they should have started to make a promise that they would search all the grounds for every residential school. Cause now you're seeing all of these bodies popping up because volunteers and people are hiring people to do this. So there's like four residential schools now that they found remains at, and there was hundreds of residential schools. Mm -hmm. And the Indian hospitals. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, and there's there's again something that I I'm unfamiliar with is Indian hospitals. And so, but but I'll, I'll I can do my I I can do my research on that. <laughs> yeah, those yeah. are hard. Those are a really hard one to talk about. Yeah, Another thing um, that people aren't aware of. Um, so the First Nations Health Authority, um, they call themselves Pan Indigenous, and they get money allocated from the government to help service First Nations communities. So that's like prescriptions and a lot of different things, including counseling. So Métis people don't have access to that, and Métis people went to residential schools. They face intergenerational trauma, and there aren't they don't have that available. Métis Nation BC recently during COVID had offered ten free sessions for people, but there's only so many spots for that. So that's just a start, but 
sessions are like a hundred dollars an hour type of thing. And our people can't, you can't afford that to go to and to heal. You need counseling. You need, um, uh, traditional teachings as well, but all of that costs money. And if our people live in poverty, which is a, like a lot of the indigenous communities face poverty, it's hard to get that healing. Yeah. And I, I, a criticism that I had, if somebody just gave me money, I would be like, oh, okay, cool. And, you know, I would use that to buy stuff. But if somebody gave me, you know, money to hopefully get myself ahead, but also resources, like you say, counseling, you know, I, I think that that might, might help too, because it's, it's sort of like, I see it as, okay, here, here's a, here's a check, like figure it out. That's sort of how I see it. It's not like Germany after World War II, uh, after the Holocaust, um, because sometimes they say, you know, Nazi Germany did that, but it was German, right? They said that rather than just move on from this, we need to work through this. And I think mm -hmm. that that is such a powerful message for what our country needs to do. We need to work through this. We can't just expect this to yeah. go away. Now that we know of the 215 children in, in the Kamloops Residential School, which, as we've discussed, is just the tip of the iceberg, we need to prepare ourselves for what will come after. And it's my understanding that the Kamloops band paid for that. They paid to yeah. have, to, like, the, the government didn't support that, those mm -hmm. efforts. Yep, it was too expensive to search the grounds that came out during the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Hmm. And because they don't have uh, full disclosure of records from the Sisters of St. Anne or the Catholic Church, they have no way of knowing how many kids were there. The records were incomplete. They didn't give logbooks, journals, anything. There's pe There are people that know that their relatives went to these places and never came back. And those people have been ignored for countless generations. And the government just was completely apathetic to it. The, the, the common response is, why can't we just get over it? And you can like look at any newspaper right now, and there are, there are non-Indigenous Canadians writing in their, their um, letters to the editor saying, like, we need to care about kids today. What about today's children? We make up 55% of kids in care. Indigenous women... Um, LGBTQT, Two-Spirit, and children make up the majority of Canadians in poverty. So if we're going to talk about the kids today, it's still Indigenous kids that are the people that are really, 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 really vulnerable. So I think people just need to wake up and realize that this is not, it's not going to go away. It hasn't gotten, it hasn't really gotten any better since the last school closed in 1996. Um, and we all have a responsibility to our community to learn about it and to share about it. One thing I would love for people, though, to start remembering is we've, we've been here for 14,000 years plus, And this is like only a very small piece of our history and who we are. And it's a sad one that we have to work through now. But not necessarily framing us as victims 100% of the time and recognizing us for our strength and our resiliency. And owning that, the work that we put into sharing these things, it, it's, it is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. Um, I can't think of one Indigenous person that is not tired right now.
and really having these conversations over and over again, it, it does have a really profound impact on your health and the health of your community. Yes. So if there are indigenous people that you know and you love, reach out to them and check in on them, ask them how you can support them. Because a lot of people want to know what we have to say, but they don't want to know what we need to be able to say it. So do, do you have do you have any resource like I'm sorry to ask this question? <laughs> and maybe maybe you could share it with me after too, because I'm putting you on the spot. But do you have resources that that I could because I work as a counselor, right? Yeah. Do you have resources that I, as a counselor, could offer that are appropriate? Because that's always the question that I wrestle with, is is what is authentic? Because there's many things out there, but they're not always authentic. So what resources are out there that can that can aid in this in this healing and in, in, in wrestling with feeling tired? Connect to the locals, the local organizations, see what programs they have going. So like I guess if in Surrey, it would be like Nova or Waichia Métis Association. They might have support groups. They might have counselors. Um, there are Métis people that have gone to school to become counselors. There are Indigenous counseling services for First Nations people. Um, a really good book, actually, that I just read um, for classes in my own moccasins. Beautiful mm. book um, by Helen Knott, and she's... Up north, BC, she's First Nations, but the last thing in her story, it's a memoir of her story and her journey with that is sharing resources for people who are struggling and reading, like there's specifically like indigenous focused ones. So highlighting what those are in the community um, and recognizing like you, you as a counselor, you might not be the best person to have that conversation. And sometimes being a helper is understanding where our limits are and outsourcing that support and being that triage and that, that trusted person to kind of hand people forward. And it's, there's no shame in that either. We, we don't always have the skills to fix things. And I think intergenerational trauma, especially within the context of indigenous families here is so nuanced. It's like, I, I, I having worked as like an Aboriginal support worker for so long, I didn't even always have the skills or the know, know with all how to do it. Within my community, my, my, my friend group, I still, I still fuck it up all the time. I make mistakes all the time. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to say the wrong thing or respond emotionally or not have the words in the moment. But there, there is a wealth of stuff out there. Um, friendships, Native Friendship Centers are great too. Um, they're pan, they tend to be pan-Indigenous. Um, if you ask them about Métis resources, most of them will have them. Um, there's Métis people that work in those uh, organizations that are there. Um, even First Nations Health Authority, even though they don't have uh, services explicitly for Métis people, there are a lot of Métis employees. Right. So if you check in, say, like, I would like to speak to a Métis staff member. Um, for us, like, that's that's the strategy that I would use. And I would ask them, like, hey, what's going on? Do you know of anything I can use? Um, that Again, kind of thing. But it is. Yeah. yeah reaching out well yeah so so brianna um we were kind of talking a little bit before about uh you know feeling tired and 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 this is this is kind of a broad philosophical question but again we're all i'm i'm feeling tired right and i think a, a lot of people that look like me because of the white shame and and you know they have all kinds of different deflections and things like that these are coping strategies perhaps but Perhaps for yourself, you're feeling tired. Lauren, maybe you're feeling tired. 
What do you do to to rejuvenate yourself when you're feeling you're feeling the weight of the world, perhaps? Mm-hmm. And I think Lauren kind of kind of hit hit the nail on the head uh, earlier, and I'll and I'll get to that. But but Brianna, I want to hear from you if that's all right. Yeah, I've been feeling very burnt out lately. Mm-hmm. Indigenous things is one thing, but also like personally, like my dad is very sick right now. Um, I have learned that we have to practice self-care and we can say no sometimes, like um, when you have a lot on your plate, some in in our roles, like with the, like with the Métis, sometimes you just have to say no, like you'll pass up this opportunity and you just have to take time for yourself because if you burn out, you can't help others. Mm-hmm. Well said, yeah. And, and, and Lauren, uh, for yourself, how do you practice self-care? Good question. Um, Some days, not very well. Um, For the most days, I spend a lot of time with my little dog, Um, like to read, connect with my family, call my mom, call my friend, talk to my friend Linda a lot. Um, Yeah, no, just I'm learning to be more open and ask for support when I'm feeling impacted by things. Um, I have, I'm very very, very lucky to have the family that I do and the friends that I do, that I have people that I can lean on and that will check in on me. I don't even, don't even always have to ask, but I do like to, um, smudge. So I use sage and things and I have, um, friends, friends from the homelands that will send me stuff or trade me. And it's, it's, it's fun. I really, I like making medicines. I do smokeless smudge for people, um, in the residences at UVic, um, and also like hospitals and things like I've made it at home and, doing a workshop with the Métis youth BC really soon. I'm really excited about, but just connecting with culture, connecting with people and not isolating myself and, but also like allowing myself to feel things. If I'm feeling really, really impacted, I'll let myself feel it through and I'll, I'll cry and I'll, I'll let that happen. Uh, because pretending these things don't happen or don't impact us isn't going to help anybody. I know it's a, we have a tendency in our community to be super stoic, but that's not an authentic representation of what's going on inside. So I like to share my feelings and I like to write about them. Gerald is great. My little dog has been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> he knows all about them. Yes. But, yeah. Well, community, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, a, there's a film that sticks with me to this day, Castaway, and how he's stuck on this island and he creates Wilson. a friend. He creates a friend out of an inanimate object. And that speaks, I think, to the human experience that we all need someone. Bob Marley, uh, one of my favorite philosophers and musicians of all time, said, In this great future, you can't forget your past. What is the this is this is kind of the last question before I, I want to open it up to you guys. Uh, what is the role of history and First of all, what is history in, in your perspective and what is the role of history? So, Brianna, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll do you first. What is history? History is, I'm not a history person as much, so Lauren will probably have a better That makes you the perfect historian. But um, history is what happened in the past and just, it's not always about the documentation because like when um settlers think of history they think of their own first and a lot of our textbooks we don't always learn about indigenous history as much and i think that needs to change because we need to learn about the history of the land before settlers came here and yeah we need to mark that type of thing 
you you answered both you answered both what is history and the role of history <laughs> in one fell swoop very well done and and i i you bring to memory in grade 10 social studies i remember reading uh you know we had a week on a week if you even want to call it that on learning about indigenous peoples which is absurd because as i said before we are inextricably linked you know we cannot have one without the other you can't wash your left hand with your left hand you have to do both hands right and that's the mm -hmm. coming together and i remember reading a blurb on residential schools and thinking and i'm a 14 year old and and you know i I had all kinds of weird stuff going on in my head at the time, but I remember thinking that is very odd that this is the only amount that we're attributing to this. And again, I think that that speaks to not sharing what we're uncomfortable with. And again, that's the role of history is to re-examine the past so we can better understand our present. Lauren, what do you think uh, is history and what is the role of history? Um, history is stories. It's narratives, it's intersections throughout time, place. It's, I think it, the word means something different to everybody. Um, yeah. I did I did a colonial history degree because indigenous studies wasn't a major program when I did my undergrad. Um, but I found ways to sneak in the different narratives. I had a really cool history professor in my final year who always taught me to look at events through a gender, race and class paradigm and go from there. So analyzing these things from different intersections and different uh, lenses really makes for like a fulsome dialogue. Um, so I think history is our teacher and history is what is going to, if we can reconcile ourselves with that and get comfortable being introspective and retrospective and forward thinking and using it to inform our future decisions. History is something that will empower us to be better as people, as a community. Um, yeah, and people learn history from different things. Like people, some people like to read, some people like to listen to podcasts, some people like to go to museums. I think it's important to apply critical race theory to everything, like to think like why, who, yeah. who is communicating this? Why? What is their agenda? Who is funding this thing? Um, when I was in my undergrad, I was really lucky to be chosen for UVic picked 20 students to do a field school. We went to Germany, Austria, and Poland, and we studied the Holocaust. And for me, I wanted to go because I wanted to have that comparative piece with um, how they reconcile their wrongdoings and use it to bring people forward country to country to country. And the ways that it was portrayed different country to country was really interesting. So going to these places and these sites and seeing how people interact with them really shifted how I looked at history as something that is a living, breathing thing. It's something that follows us everywhere we go. We can't, we can't erase it. And I know a lot of people are really upset about some of the statues being taken down everywhere all over Canada right now. They really have a problem with that. Um, I've never been one to learn a full history from a statue of like a white dude. <laughs> that's like being shit on that's my birds. That's, like, that's, that's really a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not it. So um, yeah, I think uh, people need, just need to learn to engage with it better. Be more tactful with it. Why, why is this story out here? Why is it being presented the way it is? I really appreciate when people challenge me even on where I get my information from. I love it. I, I live for that. Um, if pe people need to be more comfortable doing that and not just assuming one narrative is an authority. And also questioning why the government has left this out of the overall narrative for so long. Who benefits from that? Think about it. So again, and, and, and we're going over time. I hope that's all right, but... It's like how do you, how do you shut this down? But I think that 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 it's good. Bias 
understanding by we all have bias and understanding mm-hmm. bias can be a wonderful tool it can also be a weapon right but if you yeah. if you're honest with it for example my bias is sometimes i get so angry like i get so hurt i get so frustrated when i see injustices and that's just me like i get pissed off right and uh um when i took a holocaust course and like you know I realized I was getting so irate, but, but anger, it's like, why am I getting angry? Right. And I think that for myself, if I can ask myself, why is this making me angry? I can actually turn that into something productive versus Mm -hmm. like punching a hole in a wall. It's like, well, what, what does that achieve? Not that I do that, but I'm just saying like, how can we utilize our anger to make us understand our own bias and hopefully correct or or work to correct it's not going to happen like that it's impossible Mm -hmm. for things that have happened for 200 400 years right how can they be corrected in a year and a decade that's impossible it's disrespectful right it's not even identifying what you know it's it's that's trying to work that's trying to move on not work through as i've mentioned before so there's a, there's a book out, um, Rizma Menachem, who wrote the book, uh, and I apologize for the mispronunciation of the name, My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma. Right, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. And in his racial healing, do, do you recall what he says it starts with? It starts with ourselves. It starts within mm-hmm. our own circles. I have a, a family member and I love him dearly, but he's like Archie Bunker. And I say who Archie Bunker was a super right wing guy. And I say, you know what, man, speak freely, but we're going to have a conversation. I'm not going to let you off the hook. I want you to tell me what you think. And then let's have a conversation versus the person who just goes to the minority, the visible minority, the other let's say, as Edward Said put it, the other and saying, hey, can you tell me about this? We need to start these conversations of healing within our own circles before mm-hmm. we can expect to do them across our cultures. I, I do agree with that. What are, your, what are your thoughts on that? I know, again, I, I apologize if that's a loaded question, but I like to insert myself in these questions. Is everyone really yeah. equal? I have not read that one. Definitely read White Fragility. Great book. These these are ones that I would recommend for people who want to work on their allyship with Indigenous or racialized people within the context of North America. Um, why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. Power. People don't want to acknowledge that they have it. They don't want to talk about privilege. It's We've had this conversation, you and I, Rob, and it's it's a thing. I I like these books. They're pretty pretty direct and they're actionable. There's also, um, I forget his name. It's going to come to me. Um, for Indigenous people, like there is, uh, Linda Gray wrote a book, First Nations 101. Um, doesn't apply to us, but it's still really good for people in British Columbia to read because it's by someone who is BC First Nations. Um, Sorry, and then, who, who is the author of that book? Um, Linda Gray, and it's called First Nations 101. It's a cute little blue or blue green cover with stars on it, and it's, it's very impactful. It goes through the Douglas treaties. It goes through um, modern treaty negotiations. So like things that are relevant and still ongoing today that impact people because everything goes back to the land when it comes to indigenous people and 
all those things. So, you know, everything yeah. comes back to that. And then 21 things about the Indian Act, like that's a good one to read as well. Um, there are tons, there, there is so much out there right now. It's really cool. It's really cool. What the one I, I recommend you, most, this one. <laughs> in my own, I'm going to, I'm going to have to pick that one up. Yes. Um, she says it in the beginning though. It's not, it's, people will learn from reading it, but she didn't write it. So people like non-Indigenous people can learn to humanize us. And I think that like, that is why I'm recommending it to settlers to read that, that this is a story for Indigenous women. Mm. But that is the kind of narrative that we need to be pushing and supporting. Mm. You know, we need to uplift these people and uplift their voices and not see them as something that we can consume because we're not a product. We are living, breathing human beings and we don't need to beg to be seen as human anymore. You shouldn't have to. Awesome. I'd also like to add, if people wanted to learn about the Métis people, there's a really good book called The Northwest is Our Mother. Lauren, can, I can't remember her name. Jean, Jean Talley. Yes. She's an amazing Métis woman. I met her in person with her like book launch, what she did for um, at a conference and gave us all books. And that's just a great way for people to learn the Métis perspective from a Métis person. It goes really into depth too about like nationhood and like the growth of our nation. Also on that point, yesterday was June 19th. It has been... 19th. Yeah. It's also a very important day for Métis people because it's the first day that our battle standards was flown at the... Um, it was the Battle of Frog, like the Battle of Frog Lake, uh, Seven Oaks. It was part of the Pemmican Wars and... Cuthbert Grant, possibly a relation of yours. Scottish was a Métis leader, and that's when that happened. And so we celebrate that. It's like the, almost like the birth of a nation. Like we emerge from that as like oh. a, an appreciated and respected presence um, as an Indigenous people in a nation within the prairie. So it's it's a pretty cool thing. So so that's um, Ju June nineteenth is essentially like the Métis national holiday. That no, no, it's just an, it's, it's a day we just celebrate. Um, I would say Louis okay. Real Day is probably our national holiday, which is kind of weird because some provinces celebrate his birthday and then other ones celebrate the day that Canada executed him as a day of mourning. So we don't have one exclusive History day to is complicated. <laughs> yes. The National Indigenous People's Day is supposed to be our day for celebrating, but, I mean, the past couple of years it's just been mourning and work. So hopefully next year we'll actually get to... do that <laughs> yeah and and my, again my beliefs sharing my own bias is that you don't this work you don't delegate it to a day it's you know we're I, we're all three of us are lifelong learners right you know but also still enjoying the privileges that we have you know my ability to be a parent and, and be with my daughter and have her throw bacon at me in the morning you know i'm so excited to meet her <laughs> yeah i can't wait for you guys to meet her man she's the gem of my life she's my muse so is so is jen my partner she's my muse as well but you know i'm so thankful for this now again we're at we're at an hour 10 minutes anything else that you guys would like to share to to share on this on this platform um anything i, I mean again you can only capture so much in an hour so yeah just grateful to have um, a platform to share 
and to encourage people to learn and to learn from Bria. I always like learning from Brianna. Mm. And I like, I like uh, being questioned. And I always, I find I always come away from these conversations with more questions than answers and find like, if I haven't um, answered something in depth or as in depth as I want to, I'll seek out answers and learn and grow from it. So that's good. Um, I will leave you guys with a quote of one of our wonderful uh, regional directors, Jean Gladue, he's a relation of mine. Long live the true Métis. Long live the true Métis. Brianna? I just want to say thank you for letting me be here to speak. And thank you, Lauren, for teaching me so much that I didn't know as well. <laughs> thank you all. Thank you so much. Um, thank you for being my friend. And thank you for your trust. Because, again, I, that's the only way forward. Mm -hmm. So, thank you. Hi, Jill. Hi, hi. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Once again, that was Lauren Peterson and Brianna Greer, two friends of mine, sharing with me their perspectives on National Indigenous Peoples Day and what that means to them as Métis uh, people. Um, Resma Menakin, who is the author of My Grandmother's Hands, talks about how in order for healing to occur, it has to begin in our spaces. Where we are most comfortable, that's where healing must begin. It's easy to avoid these difficult conversations. It's easy to agree with people that we might not agree with. But conflict, conflict is a way of achieving progress as long as the conflict is is healthy and you feel safe you and the other person feel safe but the only way that we can begin to move forward in our communities and our shared communities is if we begin to have these conversations within our own spaces it has been a pleasure having my friends back on the show to share with me uh, about this day. I hope you got something out of it. Um, and my question for you is, what does this day mean to you? As I've said before, our communities, our cultures are inextricably linked, and we are moving together forward, whether we like it or not. So let's learn to enjoy it. Let's learn to trust each other, and let's learn to find a better way forward. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant, and I'm probably wrong about everything.